welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, even to know the difference, but I won't. Okay, we are up to step two. In this workshop, my name is Chaim, and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. In chapter three, the second paragraph, um, it says more about alcoholism. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were sexaholics. Again, we learned that we had to fully concede in our innermost selves that we were sexaholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be. That means we have any inkling or any thought or concept that maybe we're like the regular, we just lost like gentlemen, has to be smashed. So again, what we tried to really accomplish in the first three talks was, was that idea. That there's a, such a need for me to want to be like everybody else in the world. And this is such a fight against the idea that, that I am just different. That there is something called a phenomenon of craving that is different than the regular person. And we spoke about it in other talks. That means if I touch lust, I get burnt to the point that I cannot stop. There's a phenomenon of craving that is so big that, that once I engage in it, I just break out, I'm done. Besides the phenomenon of craving, there's allergic reaction that physically takes place to my body. And yet, every part of me wants to fight the idea and believe that I'm just like a regular guy. What's the difference? Everybody watches movies. What's the difference? Everybody goes there. What's the difference? Everybody watches porn. Who doesn't watch porn? It's the biggest industry in the world. Like, who doesn't do these things? Like, why am I different? And we really tried to explain in the first few workshops the absolute difference between the sexaholic and the non-sexaholic. If you still have any doubt that you're you're different, you still have the delusion or the belief that you're the same, you can't recover. It's as simple as that. And we, and we must, we must, he uses, he usually doesn't use like, like very like strong terminology, he's very like accurate, but he says we need to smash this idea that we're like other people. And um, we gave some tools in the other workshops how to, how to get that to happen. One of the greatest tools that I've learned in this program is to write down the ideas that I still want to do if I went back out there. 
Like if I wasn't married, if I didn't have children, if I just got a free pass, how bad would it really get? What, what would I still do out there? And if you're like me, if you're an addict and you're addicted to sex and lust, there's a laundry list that still comes up. As I've been staying sober, I'm now sober for like 12, 12 and a half years, um, the list gets less, and most of the time, even with a free pass, I'm honest to goodness would say I wouldn't do it. I don't want that life anymore. The big book says we recoil from, from lust, from our drug, like from a flame. We recoil, it means I just don't want it anymore. But yet every fiber of my being, when I'm not spiritually fit, is willing to kill for it. One of the definitions of an addict is before we take the action, we'll die to take the action. And after we take the action, we want to die that we took the action. So I need to know this because it's so important because then I can't engage in lust anymore. It's just over. So that's for step one, which leads right into step two. We came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that restores to sanity. And it's very interesting, this whole, this whole came to believe, because if you asked me, I came to this fellowship, I thought I had a problem with, with sex, with lust, and I thought you were going to simply just teach me how not to sex and how not to lust. It's going to be that simple. And all of a sudden, we get right into this whole idea of, so what's your belief system? <laughs> it's like, who gives a crap what I believe in or don't believe me? Just tell me very simply, what do I do when I go out there? I see a girl, I don't want to follow her around the store. Can you give me a solution? And the, the steps say, no, I'm not going to give you a solution on that. Like, what do I do? I all of a sudden get, a, get like a pop-up on my phone. I all of a sudden, like, like, I'm doing great. My family is great. And then I got rejected from my wife, you know? Like, all of a sudden, there's an emotional turmoil inside of me. And I just want to run. Where? I have no idea. But go. And um, give me a solution. And instead of doing that, there's a whole, like, all of a sudden, we take a quick, like, left turn. And it's like, okay, what's your belief system? And the big book goes on and on and on and it talks about the agnostics. The guy who doesn't believe at all. And I really did some, some work on this, on this subject. Uh, I know Joe and Charlie says the definition of agnostic, gnostic means somebody who just doesn't believe. Agnostic is somebody who like completely just like like a deeper level of just, I'm done. Like, there's nothing out there. I'm at zero. Why is it so important to be at zero? Why is he assuming that a lot of us are agnostics? We have no belief, especially our community, our group of people who have been practicing rituals and, and beliefs and praying and learning. Like, why does he assume that right away we don't believe? And then he goes further on to say that, and if you do believe, right, you need to come to believe. We come to believe in a power greater than ourselves. What's wrong with my old belief system? Why doesn't that work? Why, what's the problem? And not only that, throughout the program, we see that a lot of the things we did before resemble what we're doing in recovery. So, so what is the problem? What's this whole idea of coming to believe? I think is, it warrants the biggest question. And 
I do want to say there's a few things that over the years I've studied in this program and I believe that these are the, some of the reasons why people either don't get sober, struggle tremendously in recovery, or the LEAF program after a certain period of time being here. And one of them is they don't want to adopt this idea of coming to believe. They don't want to get, the only, the only people that cannot recover are those that cannot be rigorously honest. And I know for myself it took an enormous amount of inner work to get really honest with myself. Am I willing to come to believe or am I holding on these old ideas? I'll give you a perfect case scenario that my sponsor used to tell me. You have a choice to be at the meeting at time or finish a prayer. The old idea is what I mean, I gotta pray. The new idea is I'm responsible to myself and to the program to be here on time or to be here at the meeting when it starts, or to put recovery before anything else. It's a very simple thing. So in the clubhouse of recovery, I'm still holding on to my old ideas. I'll leave the meeting early because I have a meeting, I have an appointment, I have to be home, and I only have 10 minutes to pray. So do I leave the meeting early, or do I sit at the meeting? Old idea, new idea. Old idea, of course I'm gonna leave early. What do you mean? I did that in synagogue all the years. I just, you know, bounced 10 minutes out and came. Coming to believe is simply a level of humility that warrants, like the big book says, until my old ideas are nil. Nil means zero. I don't believe in my old ideas at all. I need a whole new dictionary. I need to be at ground zero. I was doing some step work with a sponsee of mine and we were working on step two. So I just picked him up. He's in program for a bunch of months. He's sober. He's done his first three steps. The first thing he told me, he goes, I don't mind going over the first three steps with you, but I know it, you know? And we, we could basically stop at step four, but if you want to go it over, go it over. So I just explained to him, that's exactly the purpose of recovery is the opposite of that. I know nothing till today. I'm here to learn. I'm not here to tell you what I know, how much I know, and stay a distance and separation. And there's always like a clause. Everybody's done step one, two, and three here, or most of us have done step one, two, and three. But it's to us to open up our hearts and have an, a, a deeper understanding and a realization of as much as I know, I know nothing. It's an attitude of coming to believe. I don't know. I've seen, like I said before, people don't stay in program because I got this all. So what do I have to be here? And they go out there. Because this I got. Porn, I didn't figure out yet. Lust and sex, I didn't figure out. This I got. This is a very subtle but yet so critical step in recovery. Because furthermore, I could have gone to step three right away. I have a problem with sex and lust. My answer is God, let's talk about God. He doesn't do that. He says, we need to spend time on understanding this whole idea of coming to believe my old ideas on nil are out of the window. So if my sponsor gives me a suggestion or tells me to do something, it's not like, <laughs> my old ideas are like, I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't, some things make sense, I'm gonna listen to, some things don't. We stop the debating society when we come here. There's no, there's, I need, this took me such a long time in program to get humble enough. I remember, I remember the group conscience talking about like um, some people want to know what happened in the early days. 
there was basically a group conscious of three old timers came over to me and said, you know, we suggest you don't share at meetings. They voted basically for Chaim not to share. I was so opinionated. I so knew what was supposed to go on that they really just asked me to like, shut up. It's funny, when I came home and told to my wife, because I was fuming, I had the old timers noticed, I was furious. My wife said, I, I guess the program got you. You know. Then after 10 meetings of not sharing, um, my sponsor told me in a very nice, gentle way, he said, I think you should do it for another 10 meetings. There was an attitude of literally taking the cotton out of my ears and putting it in my mouth, like they say in AA. Of coming to believe. Of recognizing I own this seat because look what I did to my wife. Look what I did to my children. Look what I'm still doing in recovery. I could be here for years. I know the shit that I've done in recovery, being here for years. To you, I can maybe preach to the choir, but a humbleness of coming to believe, I don't got this. I really don't. It's so critical because it's very different if I come to the meeting and I bring this little cup and say, I'm willing to give you a little bit in this cup to fill up, but more than that, I got... I got my ideas on life. Don't talk to me about religion. Don't tell me about my marriage. Don't talk to me about my finances. You're going to tell me to leave a job. Don't tell me what to do and how to do and when to do. I got this. So therefore, we almost like go like this when somebody's talking to me about marriage or children or finances or anything because I'm not here for that. I'm here for one mere purpose is tell me how not to masturbate and how to watch porn. But the problem says that's not why you're here. The whole reason you need to be here is because your belief system on how you run your life needs tremendous improvement. And you, do, you need to come to believe in this. Even what I'm saying, you need to come to believe in. It's a process. It's interesting, I was telling this over to somebody yesterday that after the shame meeting from last week, a, few, a lot of people gave me feedback, and some of the feedback was, it was very heavy and very shameful, and I walked around very depressed afterwards. And a lot of people gave me feedback and said, it was so, such a realization of how sick and powerless I am, and how I really need help, and I could really be in meetings and call my sponsor and yet not get sober, and, and, and oh my God, the stuff that we've done in these rooms, and. And it really like anchored me like, I gotta take this program serious. The second voice I realized were the people that were staying sober in the fellowship. And the first voice were the people that are not committed to the fellowship. There's always a reason why this fellowship sucks. Even a powerful shame meeting <coughs> could be a source of depression if I didn't come to believe, if I'm not sitting here humble, willing to learn, if I'm not open-minded to the messages that recovery really has to offer. That is step two. Come to believe in a power greater than myself. The second realization of step two is that, you know who I believed in my whole life? Myself. That's why I need to come to believe in a power greater than myself. You know something? My parents failed me. The school system failed me. Life failed me. 
This wife wasn't even supposed to be the wife that I meant to marry. My kids failed. My finances failed. You know something? After the whole world, I got control. I'm listening to no one. I got this. For once and for all, I'm boss. And you know something? And when I take control, I can prove to you I, I, have, I have good things in my life. Come to believe in a power greater than ourselves. We gotta get rid of self. That's the whole coming to believe. The whole problem of, of me is I'm so self-absorbed with self. My masturbation gives the finger to my wife and children, the porn, the strip clubs, the massage parlor. I don't give a crap, it's all about me. I'll tell you what I mean by coming to believe. So it's the holiday season of Hanukkah. Now I'm a Jewish boy. Now, 13 years ago, was when my wife got disclosure uh, around this time of what my acting out behaviors are. So she started to get <coughs> semi-what disclosure. Um, my rituals would basically be, I would learn all day and watch porn and masturbate or went to a strip club. I would feel so guilty and shameful. I would listen to like a rabbi's talk on on the, the purity of the soul and how you shouldn't be doing this and the holiday season represents purity and what you're doing is impure. So I would go to the ritual waters and after that I would come home and I would light the candles. And it just, um, a few nights ago when I was lighting, in the middle of the second brach, I burst out crying like a baby, like a two-year-old. I, I literally could not control myself. And... Um, it just brought me back to 13 years ago. <clears throat> what a mess I was. My wife didn't want to stay in the same room that I was in while I was lighting. She like walked out, she was in the, the other room. And uh, I lit the candles and I was in a, such a state of misery. I'm holding like my baby in the hand. I have another kid like sitting there dancing. He's all happy and I know I might not be here by the next candle lighting for all my purpose. I'm getting divorced because I can't stop. Because my wife already knew that I was having problems and I was still doing it. I could not stop the definition of powerlessness. And I remember when everybody left the room, I closed the doors. <clears throat> I, 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 um, I, I, I took my eyes, I opened them up like this, and I put it over the flames so that the, the holiness of the flames may resonate into my pupils of my eyes and pure my soul and, and uh, at the point that it started to hurt, I basically like bounced back basically and did that a few times. Every one of us know in our heart our old way of believing. I needed to eradicate any of that. Any of that old ideas. Now some of it, this is like a <coughs> radical example, but some of it is pure and beautiful. There's nothing wrong to put on Teflons, technically connect with our higher power and pray and center myself and be spiritual. What's wrong with that? You know something? I have no idea. But I needed to come to a place that my sponsor comes before that. I needed to come to a place that my program comes before that. I need to ask myself, if I'm in program this long and it ain't working, maybe it's time to just take direction. Maybe it's just time to say, hey, you know something? I don't know. It's coming to believe. 
maybe my ideas of of praying for for a half an hour out here. It, maybe I should restructure that. Maybe pray for five, ten minutes and grab a big book because you're a cancer patient and you're in the hospital and you need treatment and there's a lot of doctors around that you could ask them questions. Maybe these old ideas don't work. Maybe for other people it does, but for me it doesn't. Maybe the idea of I'm right doesn't work anymore. Maybe when the old-timers say that, that the facts on the ground, this, this is evidence, right? If you take the 10 guys of, of the Lakewood Fellowship from 200 people, you take the 10 guys that are sober the longest, maybe even 20 by now, and you ask them what did they do for their recovery, right? You want to become wealthy, you go to the top 20 guys that are wealthy, right? They each came to a meeting a day, every day, on time, and got through their 12 steps, and work the program like the life depends on it. They put their entire life on hold. Finances, marriage, children, vacation, trips, and all. I got a phone call this week from a guy who was in program for eight months. I can't get it, I can't get it. I'm out there, I'm acting out terrible. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. Help Chaim, I don't know what to do. And then that guy took his family to a trip for vacation for the holiday season. Now technically, what's wrong? It's beautiful, he's taking his family away. What's wrong, Chaim? You're so mean, what's the problem? I don't know, my sponsor told me for a year, don't go anywhere but to a meeting. You're that sick. If you're going in your car, you know where you go? To a meeting. Remember when I was sober for eight months, um, I called my sponsor, I was on the computer, I was booking tickets to Israel. I was dying to go to Israel. I had this whole thing in my head. I'm going to make amends to my wife at the, at the Western Wall. I had like the, you know what I mean? I'm still like in Hollywood, like if she gives a shit, you know? <laughs> and I'm like all like, you know, gazed up. And I'm on the phone with my sponsor. My credit card is already in the system. The only thing I need to do is press send. And my sponsor says, maybe in a few months from now. Now is not the time. You're in your first year of recovery. The old timers told us you don't have children the first year in recovery. You don't pregnate your wife. You don't do anything that could rattle the ship. So what do I do? I remember asking the old timers, guys who were sober then for 10, 15, 20 years, so what do I do? They go, you go to another meeting and another meeting and you do more step work. You don't recognize how sick you are. I said, but what's going to be with my life? They said, you're going to have a life as a result of doing all this. The guy that goes to college for eight years and has no freaking clue how he's going to support his family during those eight years. He has a tunnel vision. I have no idea I'm supporting my family. Becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer, becoming a whatever I'm becoming. I'll borrow, I'll figure it out. I have a game plan. After eight years, buddy, I'm making 250. That's it I care about. After, I don't care about anything else. And I'm willing to suffer and work my head off to make it happen. This is the idea of this program was told to me. For the first year minimum. This is the coming to believe. Coming to believe that this is not just a free-for-all. You could just come and go and, and it is what it, it doesn't work. Not only that, even the people that have done it for the first year and then stop doing it 
And all of a sudden, the, the finances became the most important. All of a sudden, their vacations became important. All of a sudden, their image in the community became important. All those guys are out of here. Or here and suffering like animals. Renovating homes and all. I can't keep my zipper closed. What am I busy with? We know how sick we are. I mean, go into my brain a day, every one of us. If I went into your brain a day, one day, one hour, and I saw what was going on. Hell yeah. <laughs> it would be a scary sight. Imagine your neighbor went into your brain while he's checking out his wife. Like, let's be honest. Like, the, the key to step two, the key for me to success in this fellowship is how I give my will and my life, which is step three, over to this fellowship. And step two is the starting point. My old life is over. If your old life is not over, buddy, you, you don't got a chance. The old me will act out. The new me won't. The old me that believes that God does punish for sin, will act out. Now, that might be true. He might actually punish for sin. You might, your brain might blow up if you masturbate one more time. It didn't the last fourth million times, but somehow this time it might. You will have children with, with, with eight legs if you act out again. It could be. It never happened before. We all thought that we, our wives are going to die on, on the bed while they give birth. We all thought we're going to have children that have three heads. We all thought that. Never happened. But he is a punishing God and he will, will, will hurt you. For your cardinal sin called masturbation and porn that your peril is over and you didn't have a choice to do. He's the devil. He hates you. He will punish you. I can't believe in that. Or I'm going to do it again. You need to convince yourself to an innermost being and smash the old ideas. And if I don't, I don't got a chance. I really don't have a chance. So what I do with my sponsees is very simple. It's a great exercise, whoever, whoever wants to do it. It's a great, great exercise. It really helps tremendously to get rid of the old ideas. You make a line from top to bottom in the paper. And you write on the left side, old. And on the right side, you write new. And you write down your old ideas. Your old ideas might be something like, I could come home when I want. It's my life. My old ideas might be, I listen to my sponsor regarding to lust, but nothing else. Basically, whatever is going on in your brain is your old ideas, because you need a whole new peer. So whatever you believe in, it could be... Your old ideas might be, I could go to three meetings a week. Your old ideas might be, Chaim doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Who is he to tell me what to do? Whatever your ideas might be, my ideas still come up for me. My sponsor doesn't know what the hell to do. If it's my brain that's telling me that, it goes on the old side. It's very simple. And then one by one, after you wrote it down, Opposite, you come up with a whole new list of new ideas. A coming to believe. If your old ideas really worked, 
then why aren't you sober? Why are you still lusting? Why am I still arrogant and irresponsible? Why am I still um, having a, such a hard time in this fellowship? The old me will act out. The new me won't. Yeah, quick question. What if these ideas are not my ideas? What if these ideas are ideas that we've been... Beautiful question. So the question is, I keep saying old ideas. Very good, appreciate that, Mech. I keep saying old ideas. Where did these old ideas come from? It was, it was given over to me by my teachers, by my parents, by my community, by my, my religion. It's not I created these ideas. So according to Mechig, you don't have to write old ideas. Any ideas that go on in my brain. Because he's right. This is the beauty of recovery. If he stood there with that answer, he dismissed everything I just said because of one fleeting thought in his brain. Some of my, my ideas, were well, you blaming it on me? Correct. Any ideas. My brain got me here through everything that I was taught on this world. My brain got me to sit in a, in a, in a, to sit in a, in a little cube with another guy next to me while I'm masturbating and was so in my disease I couldn't even ask him to leave. <laughs> while I'm slipping on the floor from things that are so slippery and disgusting <laughs> called semen that oh. you could die. That human people don't step on that type of stuff. Human creatures. And it stinks like hell. <laughs> right? My ideas got me there. You know why? Because I dropped my kids off first, and I told my wife I'm not going to be home for an hour, so I'm, I'm honest, I'm responsible, <laughs> right? And I'm just taking care of myself right now. And what I do has nothing to do with you. And you didn't give me sex the night before. My ideas are like ideas like this, like, I'll masturbate in order not to have sex with a prostitute. Those are my ideas. That's where I came, came from. Now, we're getting real, right? And the question is, is, is amazing. The, all these ideas came from how I was raised, how I was brought up, how I perceived the world, whether it was given to me or not. But this is the package that I have right now of ideas. This is my best thinking. This doesn't keep me sober. This convinces me that when my cleaning lady had happened a few days ago, was walking around the house, my idea is like, how do I marry this girl? <laughs> like, that's where my brain goes. Why is it going there? I have no idea, because I have a damaged brain. Somehow the new ideas are going to keep me sober. And these new ideas are the ideas that we, we communicate together with our sponsor. So we write down anything that's going on in our brain. And then this is the point. We come to believe. We question it. We question it. Should I be putting in energy in my religion today? When I have a such a, well, when I know in the core of my being how addicted I am, 
and how badly I need this. Old ideas. I'm not going to really communicate with my wife how sick I am, so I'm going to put on a show and go to prayers and learn because I want to keep her at bay. Bullshit. You want to have sex with her. And if you don't go to shul, you don't get laid. So I'm really acting out with her, and she's the cause of my acting out in my brain, as opposed to be honest and open with her. (laughs) Old ideas, new ideas. I did, the, I did the steps six years ago when I was in this fellowship. Since then, I never looked at my steps. I never went through the steps with a sponsor. What is really going on? It's an opportunity to write it down. But to take it a step further is it's important with religion. It's not only ideas in my head of life. Primarily, God. What do I really, how do I really perceive God? I had this fascinating um, experience with a guy I was doing step two with. So he wrote down the way he perceives God is somebody who's narcissistic, angry, judgmental, um, doesn't have patience. He's, um, He's egotistic. He needs everything to go his way. Right? And he created this world for his pleasure. For us to pleasure him. What ended up coming out from, from doing the work together with him is basically we're God's prostitutes. Right? He's like angry, lonely, hungry, or tired, or pissed off, or having a bad day. And we're going to be his bitch. By the way, just that alone, you can understand why the guy acts out. Like, like, like just think about, and, and let's be honest, this is the way I feel, this is the way a lot of us feel. I need to get it right. If I don't get it right, I'm, I'm dead. I need to do this right. So I'm going to finish up the step two with this, this idea. So I, came, I asked him, I said, so then who's the devil if this is God? This is the key point. He said, if that is God, then I'm the devil. Why am I the devil for? Because what a God who is so hating and so confusing and so egotistic and needs things to go his way, then he becomes so confused and angry, the guy himself, that he becomes the devil. I said, so if you're the devil now, I thought you said God was the devil. Isn't God, are you the devil or God is the devil? What ended up coming out through the step work is it's very simple. The way I view God, that's who I become. So if God is the devil, I become the devil. I said, can we go to the new column? Can you write how you would love God to be? He said, patience, understanding, knows the pain and trauma and confusion I went through, caring, gentle, kind, not angry, understands I'm going to make mistakes, loving. I said, now who are you? He said, only love. The way we view God is who we become. If we're all loving and all kind and all gentle, we don't act out. 
that's the purpose of step two as well. The way we view God is who we become and who we become will cause whether we act out or not. You'll never go over to a guy after him acting out and saying, so how do you feel about yourself? I feel serene, I feel peaceful, I feel a sense of belonging and love. I feel a sense of God holding me and just embracing me. You know what the guy says if you ask him after he acted out, how do you feel? Fuck you. Everybody could drop dead, the whole world. It's a God shit. You know why? Because prior to him acting out, he felt about God that way. Doesn't give a crap about me. If he gave a crap about me, why would he do blankety, blankety, blank? Why, why am I, why am I, da, 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 da? He hates me. Well, I got news for you. I hate him. Give the finger and we go after that. If we get to a place of creating a whole new God on the second column, a God that's unconditionally loving, if we come to believe the old God doesn't exist anymore, then we just have a peaceful life. We don't have to act out anymore. So it's coming to believe in all areas, but it's coming to believe as well primarily in the area of our relationship with God. We'll continue next week with step three. And the floor is now open for sharing. Thank you. We're going to do questions and answers now. Nate. Of my old beliefs that I had a hard time uh, transferring over to new beliefs. I do believe God is loving and caring and all the good stuff. But if He is that, then like the belief that God created me to do uh, crazy things only that I can overcome, like He doesn't put me in a situation that I can't overcome, doesn't make sense. Like if I have a new belief of God that everything He's great and everything is, you know, He made me a sex addict, then why would He make me a sex addict? Like. If he did it, that I can overcome it, then it makes sense, then I'll, I'll be okay with it. But that whole thing is old, and I, I should... So what is your old belief in one sentence? That God created me a sex addict, but he wants me to somehow not be gay, I don't know. <laughs> That's my okay, belief. so my old belief is God created me a sex addict. I have attraction to men. I believe I might be gay, and he wants me to overcome that. Not overcome it, he wants me to be okay with that. He wants me to be okay with it and accepting. Right. Correct? Yeah, I still Is that belief me. helping you stay sober or not? Uh, it is, but then when I get into a situation where I'm like... Does that belief help you stay sober or not? Does that belief give you serenity, calmness, and peace of mind? Or does that belief rattle you? Until a certain point. So it does rattle you. I'm okay that God created me this way. And does can, it rattle you or not? I can overcome most of the things, but there's one. Let's get to a certain point. I'm asking you a question. Does it make you comfortable? Everything that we do, it either makes us comfortable or, discomfort, or makes us uncomfortable. Does that belief make you comfortable? No. No. Beautiful. I appreciate your honesty with that. Okay. Is it the real answer that you believe? Does it make you comfortable or not? It doesn't make you comfortable. Okay. It goes on the old ideas that was given to me simply because I can't stay sober. Later on in the steps, you could work through and get into, but you don't understand and how come and the whys and, and it, it, the, I'll debate it with you and I'll prove to you why you're wrong and we'll, we'll sit and hash it out. 
Right now, it's very simple. I'm trying to stay sexually sober today. I can't because I have that going on in my head. God, whatever it is I'm looking for in this insanity, please take. In this confusion, I can't make sense out of it. I'm a powerless, broken sexaholic. Be as loving and kind to yourself as you would to me. If I told you, Nate, I'm struggling with something and it's making me crazy, it drives me nuts, and I think about this here and there, you would say, Chaim, just don't think about it. It's helping you stay sober? No. So get rid of it. Yeah, but maybe I'm doing wrong. Well, work it out in your 8th and ninth and 10th, 11th step. You'll figure out what's God's purpose. But it's part of my humility of right now, it's not helping me stay sober, I get rid of it. And the reason I get rid of it is primarily because that's my humility. My humility is, how am I supposed to figure this out? And the reason I can't figure this out is, let's be honest, you're talking about what Mech brought up before, the old ideas, the ideas that were given to me, right? I was supposed to make life out of, out of what? Out of abuse, out of being belittled, out of being shamed, out of being threatened, out of watching porn for thousands of hours, out of shaming and hating myself. I was supposed to create life and more and more and trauma and neglect or some of the recipe or while this is all going on, being told I'm going to be the next greatest thing in the world. Out of all of that, I'm supposed to create life. It's my humility. I don't know what the hell is going on. And therefore, great point, Nate. Therefore, I put it on the old ideas. I create a new idea. The new idea might just be a prayer. The new idea might be, you know something? I don't need answers for my questions today. My sponsor used to tell me I answer all your questions after you've been sober for a year. And when I would call him and bitch and complain about my wife, my this, my children, my finances, and then he goes, you got to a meeting today? On time? What step are you working? And I would resent him like hell. Like hell. But think about it. You walked into the doctor's office. He said, okay, my heart's like, like, like really hurting. Like really hurting. Can we discuss it? I just want to be validated for my heart hurting. I want to feel understood. Buddy, take this medication. Get the hell out of my office and go to sleep and relax. Like, <laughs> but, but you're not being gentle with me. You're not understanding me. Yeah. It's really... It's really- I'll repeat it, I'll repeat but it. I do feel that that some of my old ideas are good. Beautiful. Like, so the question on the table is, I'm as... I'm not done. So quickly. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, how do, do I make a new idea by myself? Because great question. I make great, a new idea, great, then I great. I just do whatever I want. Oh, great. God is loving, he doesn't give a shit. If I great, great, beautiful, beautiful. So two questions. The first question is, my old ideas, right... They came from me existing on this world, and I'm getting rid of my old ideas. Now I'm creating new ideas. The new ideas, if I'm the one that's creating it, so then it's again me. So to answer that, no, you shouldn't be doing it yourself. That's the step work you do with your sponsor. Absolutely not. It's the step work you do. Only in the 11th step, we seek through prayer and meditation to do God's will. After cleaning the whole channel between me and God, all the stumbling blocks and all the disconnect between me and my loving higher power, 
do I get to start seeking out the will of God? But yet, if you think about it, it still says we. It's always we. It's always a we program. It's no more me and my brain. Me and my brain takes me to a hooker. That's what me, myself, and the I. Everything else is, is irrelevant. And the first question was... My, my old ideas, I have some good ideas. Very good. Old ideas, there's some good ideas there also, right? So my humility is I put down every idea. And let me and my sponsor work through, is it good? Is it not good? It's basically taking an inventory with your sponsor. It's almost like at the end of the year, you call your accountant and like, okay, can we go through the, the, the balance sheet? Can we figure out what the PL looks like? Like, is this correct? Is this incorrect? It's such a great opportunity when you think of it. You take a step back, think about this. We're a sexaholic. We wrecked our life, and God is giving us a solution to literally not only straighten it out, but to straighten it out where we become so much even like better than the humans because we really balance it out. We really actually, we're not only taking ideas or not ideas, we're actually working through what is good and I'm going to keep and what is bad I'm going to get rid of. How does believing something make it a reality? Like how just because I believe that God's good and whatever doesn't make it good and all that? So the question is how is believing something making it a reality? The reason I believe porn is going to save me is because I did it a billion times. Do something a billion times you just think it's great. And by the way, doing it a billion times, you usually become great at it. Believing something and continuously believing it, there are countries that, that, that believe in craziest things, right, to us. It's like, how do, how do you believe in that, right? Hundreds of years ago, people used to bow to, to they used to create something and then bow to it, right? If you're creating it while you're bowing to it, it's so obvious, right? It might be in hundreds of years from now, people might be like, you serious, you are on your phone all day and night? playing that stupid little game or like checking out the stupid little thing, right? The answer is, you just keep doing something, it becomes great. If everybody in the world says that this is the next greatest thing, it becomes the next greatest thing. That's how the human brain just works. <clears throat> the reason I'm, I'm a pro in the, in the pornography industry is because <laughs> I've been around that block a lot. So I know the industry quite well. What we get to do over here is become a pro in this industry. And if our brain, and you're bringing up a good point, I wanted to mention it, so I'll mention it now. We're either all in program or all out. It's a very critical point. Most people don't get this program. It's because they're really not all in. Let's be honest. We show up here. There's a meeting set for us. There's people to talk to. There's even old-timers. There's even newcomers. There's everything is just set up. So I walk in, I do my thing, I grab my stuff, I leave. I'm not in it to win it. They say, you know, not to bring politics or anything. But the reason why Kobe Bryant was great, he used to wake up early in the morning before everybody else, and he took 300 shots before the gym even opened for the regular guy to walk in. And then after the game, whether he won the game or didn't, he would sit in the gym again and shoot around again. Did he have supernatural talent? Yeah. Did Michael, whoever your your guy is, yeah. But those guys worked their asses off much more than everybody else with their supernatural talents. Like I said before, you take 
10, 15, 20 guys that are sober in program over 10 years in the Lakewood Fellowship, they've worked their ass off to get sexually sober and to stay sexually sober. And the common denominator between them and everybody else, they didn't just come here to pick up recovery and then leave for the day. They're in it to win it. It's their, it's, it's their everything. There is nothing more important in their life than recovery. Recovery is the, their essentials. They're, they breathe, they live it. They, they, there's nothing to... Some people in recovery tell me like they're here for a few years. Like The wife is still bugging them why they need to go to meetings. It's not an option. I told my wife, this is my schedule. I have cancer. Imagine my wife, why are you taking your penicillin? Because uh, I need it. And if I don't, I die. I don't like when you take it. Okay. Thanks for sharing. I'm here to stay alive. You, you, you're in it to win it, or it's like, like we're still like, like, my wife doesn't appreciate when, first of all, your wife wants one thing for you and one thing only, to stay sexually sober. Let's be honest. She doesn't care if you, if you make a blessing or not. Who are you fooling? You know? She wants one thing. The problem is she wants it more than you do. <laughs> you want one thing. You want to appease her to get laid. Other than that, you don't give a crap. If you really gave a crap, you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. I wouldn't be doing the things I was doing. And then it just takes away all the, the pressure. But you're, we're either in it to win it or not. And by next meeting, I want to talk about what it means to win it, what it means to live recover, what it means to give our will and our life over to the care of God. Step three, what does it mean to live recovery? What does it mean? How do you stay sober one day at a time and actually make your life happy? Not just, I'm not going to masturbate till I'm not watching porn. That gets burnt out after a week or two, or month or two, or three or five for some. But how do you how do you build a life and a marriage and a happiness with, and, a, and a comfort and and when there's difficulties because life presents so much difficulties, we could walk through the difficulties and be happy. Basically, the same question he was asking, just furthering the point. Right now, my old belief is the table's a table and the carpet's a carpet. So the new belief is saying the table's not a table and the carpet is a giraffe. I mean, they're totally things that are not sensible to me or I don't know if they're true at all. So you're saying just do it, but the whole time it's just going to be like, I don't know, there's a load of crap in you. Prince is unconditional God. Correct. This is, again, again, this is the work that we do in the program. It's going to take some time to brainwash ourselves to correct. But in the question, there's so much doubt that the carpet is maybe really a, a, um, a draft. I mean, sorry, you're saying the carpet is a carpet and you're saying that I'm telling you it's a draft. I'm telling you the opposite. You're viewing the carpet as the draft, and I'm telling you it's the carpet. I don't know what you're saying is true. Mm-hmm. Go sober. act out a little bit more, you'll find out. <laughs> no, because you're sober, so your ideas are all true. Right? You have if your life is working, if your life is working, keep doing what's working for you. No, you, you no that's the answer. I'm being honest with you. Be- this is what they told me by the conventions. If your ideas are working, keep at it. Keep at it. Right, we need a, we need to come here with a humility that my old ideas don't work. Wait, which one's right? The two old timers, people are both sober for twenty years. Don't talk to two old timers and play the game because you do that also with porn. 
you check out two hookers and trying to figure out which one you want and you end up fucking both of them. <laughs> Don't do the same crap that you're doing out there here. You can't. They were very tough with me when I went to, to the conventions. They're like, if your ideas are working, so go for it. We got to have humility. Think about it. You spent your whole life. I spent my whole life. I'll break, make this about me. I spent my whole life either going from acting out or coming from acting out or being involved in acting out, all day fantasizing, masturbating to the point that it hurt, that it killed. How is my ideas correct? When it comes to life, where's the humility that maybe, maybe my ideas are not? In AA, they say, you've done your step one, now it's, it's time to do your step two. You're done with that life. I need to have enough humility, and, and I'm not saying this, I hope you're not taking this in the wrong, I'm not saying this in a knocking way. I'm saying this, that this is our problem, why people don't recover is they sit in and they still think that they have control over their life, that it makes sense, the decisions that they're making. So I'll, I'll, me, the guy who cannot stay sober for a week straight if my life depended on it, is going to decide whether the old timers, what they're telling me, is right or wrong. My marriage is at risk. My children are at risk. My finances is up the guazoo. Okay? I'm lost. I don't know from my head to my tails. I might have spent three hours last night um, driving down the parkway to nowhere's land. But yeah, when I come into the meeting, I'm not sure if that old timer with 15, 20 years sobriety is correct or not. Or the guy with 30 days sobriety is correct or not. He figured out how to get 30 days. I can't figure that out. Just listen to him. That's what it says in our literature. We take the guy on the park bench. We hail down a cab and ask him for direction. We don't want to believe how sick we are. And that's why it says to our own enlightened self-interest must tell them this. I can't prove that to you. You should look at your step one and it should prove it to you. Your step one that you still want to do and it should prove it to you. And if that doesn't prove it to you, why don't you give out that list to your neighbors? Ask them, what do you think of me? Would you take advice from my brain? Put it up a sign in shul instead of inviting you to the, this week's um, party. Read this. I will be your life coach. You're your own life coach? Why, why can't you be your own life coach? What's the problem? We've got to get humble. We're brain damaged from all the acting out that we did. It's as simple as that. We really, really are. I didn't pass the basket around. If you could take uh, money out now, because we're already over time. This is a very, very heavy topic and went over for this reason. We really need to get to that place of really smashing the idea that we're like human, regular people. Because we're really not. We're really not. And we really don't want to take advice. So we can work this program and the program doesn't work because we're really not working it. Working it is just following direction. It's as simple as that. Okay. Thank you for letting me share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.com 
thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.